the message of stewardship. You see that in the front of the uh, bulletin. We don't often talk on this subject. In the back, there's a whole string of references for what I'm saying. I won't quote them all. I won't quote them all. This is part of our summer topical series. Uh, my assignment is to speak on stewardship, and, and I'll maybe use the word stewardship or giving or sacrifice, things like that. Offering, in my mind, they're interchangeable. We talked about this subject a couple of sessions of elder meetings. The elders are listed here. It's alphabetical. There's no uh, hierarchy in this congregation. The guys asked me, say something about TV preachers, say something about the giving as an act of worship, and say something about history in the giving. So, I'm trying. Um, you see the, uh, the quote in the back? Up there at the top, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Giving as an act of worship? Wow, we just passed the plate. Uh, you're going to see what I mean as I go through a history of offering, sacrifices, and giving. You see in Genesis something that we're not familiar with. The guy, Noah, after the flood's over, his family's saved. And this would have been a little time for the driftwood to dry out so it could be a fire. But he offered, this is what it says in Genesis 8.20, Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. We don't do that. We don't have any room for burning a goat in the backyard or even here on the grounds. I mean, can you imagine being downwind? Uh, it's not my thing. Later on, Abram, he's been given a promise that his descendants would have the Holy Land what we know now is the Holy Land. And when he got there, his whole entourage came from what's modern Baghdad over to uh, uh, Palestine. He built an altar, it says in uh, Genesis 12. Uh, he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. In his heart, there was that sense of gratitude also. He left home to go where God had had him uh, go. His heart was in the right place. Then some things change a bit in Exodus. You see, uh, just before they leave, you know, the ten plagues on Egypt, Moses in charge, the Egyptians must have been quite impressed with all this because uh, God says to Moses, ask the Egyptians for stuff, valuable stuff. And it's, they loaded the Israelis down. They carried it into the desert. Gold and silver and clothing, and it turns out later there was chunks of bronze and and uh, hides and dyes and even at least one load of wood and tools. Why? Well, they have some adventures and they end up at the base base of Mount Sinai. You know that place where there's rumble rumble. It must have been volcanic activity. Don't come up here was the message for everybody 
but Moses. He goes up, comes back down. He says, we got to build us a, a, a temporary or a movable worship center. We'll call it tent a meeting. Other places it's called tabernacle. And for that we need stuff. Now these people had been slaves. Their mamas had been slaves. Their grandmas had been slaves. And they had all this stuff the Egyptians had given them. How were they going to get parted from all this stuff they'd never had because, just because God wanted something built? Well, he took charge. He stirred their hearts. It says uh, in uh, 35, Exodus 35, From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold and silver and bronze. That's in verse 5. In verse 21, it says, Everyone who was willing and whose heart moved him. Wow. I, I, that's, we don't think of the Jews as having heart moving. That's for Christians, isn't it? No. It was back there. They, if their heart was moved, they could give. You imagine a Levite coming to your tribal encampment, Simeonites, lays out a Levitical blanket, and anybody who wants to give toward the, the uh, construction, put something here. Can you imagine? Probably with tears, the bracelets, the earrings, maybe nose rings. We don't do that much. Some kids do. But it would be tend to be gold, necklaces, brooches, and other stuff. The heart moving is what I want to emphasize. This was for construction of that worship center to honor God for them, for anybody. Can you imagine a, an Arab coming over the hill and seeing this all going on? A bunch of smoke coming up. That's where that smell was coming from. And this magnificent tent of meeting. It was quite something. This is what was constructed by the direction of the Levites. All from this heartfelt gift. Back to God. God doesn't need gold. He made it. God doesn't need silver. He made it. God doesn't need wood. He had the trees grow. But he wanted to go through this process so people could learn what it was to respond in the heart to God. They started collecting this, and soon they had enough. They, this is known as the free will offering. It, it carried on through. Received from those whose hearts were stirred and willing. Women, men. That's an old guy's thing. Lick the finger, move the page. All the Israelite men, this is done in 3529. All the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. Wow. They had enough, they were told to stop. Now the free will offering carried through the life of Israel, and it's different from what you've heard a lot of in Christian circles, the tithe. Tithe was based on farm produce, and only for farmers to pay. And of course some people who were wage earners had gardens. But if it was grown on the land of Israel, that is what the uh, uh, Old Testament verses on tithe was talking about. Free will, however, was for any Israelite whenever their heart was in tune with God and he moved them to give. 
Remember at the time Jesus was in his earthly ministry, there was the widow's mite. That was a free will offering. And that was Jesus recording for all time. Wow. Did God provide for that widow or did she starve to death? What do you think? This, that was in Mark 12. Anyway, that isn't on my list. I added that later, so you might audit my list. It looks to me like the free will offering model came to be the Apostle Paul's prototype for how to give. Uh, look at the words Paul uses instructing the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each man should give as he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Totally free will. He could have used other models, but he didn't. And Paul practiced what he taught Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, to rightly divide. I, with those other options out there, he chose what appears to be uh, the free will offering of Israel. Why didn't he call it that? Well, he was at war with some of the Judaizers. He kept saying, don't subject the Gentiles coming in to the to worship of God. Don't subject them to um, circumcision, the festivals, the Sabbaths. You see this in Colossian letter. Don't do that. They won't know how to handle it. They can't. It's not a, something for them. The free will model served the church for hundreds of years. I think it should be our manner of giving. In doing that, your heart, have it in touch with God. Give freely, without any compulsion. Give generously. A few hundred years into the church era, fundraiser techniques began. Some key, word, key ones include somewhere between 600 and 800 A.D., I ran into reference to Christian tithing as a doctrine. It wasn't taught by the, the apostles and prophets in the first century, but long about 600 to 800, uh, a fundraiser, Selling indulgences, another fundraiser technique, first showed up in, in my research about 1,200. And of course, 1,500, the in practice of indulgences had got, uh, as a fundraiser, had got out of hand. It outraged Luther, and he sparked what we know of as the Protestant Reformation. But we're, you're, in the 1800s, it started to be taught. Um, Tithing started to be taught here in America. The reason I gave all those citations on the back is you need to not accept uh, the Old Testament and New Testament references I gave. Um, you can do your own study. And I wanted to leave a track. This is my auditor background, my CPA background. I, I don't want anybody just to believe me. I want them to be able to prove what I say. This is my short history of giving. Now, I'm going to ask my wife to give us all 
an emotional break from my voice. She's, she's a singer, and she's got her stuff with her. And uh, there's a, the tag end on this song has been the rule of our life. It has to do with only relying on what you see in the Word of God. That's my take on, on all things that are meaningful in this life. Depend upon his word. Immerse yourself in the word. Bible study by yourself in a group to find out what it says. Also find out what it does not say. You see a lot of that kind of stuff, I think, on the TV preachers. As far as giving, we, since we no longer burn goats, we can give back to some of God's projects, and I would recommend the free will model. Now, TV preachers, ta-da! Last page. What's the issue? Well, some are good. What's the flip side of some? Most aren't. I wouldn't give them a thin dime, except those few. The bad ones I've noticed promise health, wealth, and happiness. If you just have enough faith, give them some money, support the ministry, and you can, if you have enough of that mysterious faith, you can be healthy, wealthy, or happy. Have you ever known anybody who was striving for happiness above everything else? What a horrible way to live. Some bad ones on the TV will jump right to testimonies as proof of authenticity of their message. Christian proofs are not based on testimony any other than the Word of God. And most bad TV preachers will misuse a verse or two. That's where Bible study comes into play. You need to know, I need to know, Right now, I can't read very long like I used to. I have it on CD. It's in the car. Right now, my current session of going through listening to this, I'm halfway through the Old Testament again, still learning stuff. It's been 40-some years, still learning. Most of the TV preachers that are bad, I notice them looking sincerely into the camera, Maybe there's a quiver in their voice. Maybe some of them use uh, the two-syllable endings on their words. Uh. There's some legitimate ones that talk that funny way. But I, my antenna go up. I, something tells me there's something wrong. Especially when I hear reports that they leave the filming and get in their pricey car and drive to their estate. Where's that money going that they collect? Where's it going to? You know, some have been brought down by the public getting to know that uh, there's been a misuse of offerings. One thing about here, we know what Matt drives. I, I suspect that this is my 
auditor voice coming out, folks. I suspect that there's lots of greed wrapped up in what many of those on TV are doing. Remember, Paul wrote Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith. I, I bet you most of them are brothers and sisters. And that's such an enticement. In the Hebrew letter, chapter 13, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. It sidetracks you. TV time is very expensive. Even the good ones need money. But how can you tell? If you see something on TV, it really grabs you. Wow, I like that. Uh, don't send them any money real quick. Audit it. This is sort of the benefit of, if it is a benefit, of having different disciplines address the congregation, a farmer, an instructor, an engineer, a CPA. My doctor said, you are in the pulpit sometimes. Do you know how many CPAs ever get in the pulpit? <laughs> One I know of. Here's some things you could do if you want to check out somebody before you send them any money. Use your Google. Google the ministry name, and you'll find out what they say about themselves. Then Google again, but put in the word critic. You'll find some really interesting things about some of these. If a person starts collecting millions over the TV, somebody's come along and said, I want to look into this. And we don't necessarily have to believe them over the ministry, but it's something to think about. We can check it out. And uh, sometimes it's ugly. Often it's ugly right on the screen. One guy, I think I've discussed this guy with Mitchell. He'll offer, if you send him money, he'll give you a little packet of miracle spring water. Amen. <laughs> Amen. You, go, to the, go to the Blue Bible and look, uh, you know, that online thing, and look for miracle spring water. Oh, yeah. Excuse me. I need some of that miracle spring water. I'm making fun. There's other things that interest more to a, uh, an auditor, but that's the sort of thing an auditor would do. I'd also look to see if, if that ministry had a, some sort of seal of approval for their financial dealings. Uh, from uh, Like Billy Graham has a, uh, a seal from his association that at least used to be out there. You could uh, have some idea that uh, if it said they took in a million dollars that it really wasn't 50 million and the 49 million were diverted somewhere else. I mean, that's what you'd be looking for. Or if it says uh, we're supporting orphanages in Guatemala and you come to find out the people there had never heard of them. Ugh. You can watch the program again. Here's some words I've heard that I have very great suspicion of. Seed faith giving. 
This is an aberration off of the parable of the sower. Name it, claim it. Breakthrough, waiting for a breakthrough. Oh, boy, Lord. See, if, if, if you give a bunch of money, uh, like Seed Faith says, you, you plant $1,000 with us, and you're going to, if you have enough faith, you'll get 30, 60, 100 fold back. So you give them $1,000, you're $1,000 poorer. It didn't work. You don't have any money. Oh, there's something wrong with me. So along comes another program. It says, you're waiting for a breakthrough. Oh, maybe I'll have enough faith this time. See, pretty soon, you can't pay your mortgage. That's the breakthrough. I'll try it again. There's something even worse than depleting your bank account. I think if you buy in to the health, wealth, and happiness people, there's something is missing. Remember what Paul wrote in the Second Thessalonian letter, chapter 1. Among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith and all the persecutions and trials you were enduring. There's something beneficial about having trials and suffering. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. That's, that's stuff you're going through. You want, that some of our brothers and sisters want to glom on to with the, the health, wealth, and happiness message, also called prosperity gospel. That would rob you if, if you were suddenly perfectly healthy for the rest of your life, had all the money you ever wanted, were la-da-da-da-da happy. There's something better. Remember it says, and I don't have this on my list, in the Christ learned, even he learned obedience, even to the death on the cross. Where's the health, wealth, and happiness there? That's our example, a better example. And of course, there's that pesky verse. A lot of us have stumbled over this in James 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind. Oh, Lord, this thing I'm going through, it's joyful? Well, I, from an eternal aspect, yes. What should they be teaching? Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, the most dysfunctional, messed up church in history, Christianity, he says in concluding remarks about the thing that's really important for a, a ministry like his that turned over the Mediterranean world, 2,000 years ago. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Back to Bible study. The key thing that CCF stands for, any reliable ministry, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And it doesn't emphasize health, wealth, and happiness. I'm done. I don't. I don't do this enough to know how to finish. I, I'm not a, like the pianist. They know you. You do certain notes and it, it signals everybody you're done. Yeah, I just didn't get up and leave. Now I think we're dismissed, aren't we?
Okay. Lord, thank you for the elders who gave direction. Thank you for the ability to teach Bible. Thank you for an assembled group of men and women, friends, who uh, we can walk a little further along Christ's path together with. Amen.